Gaming NBS episode 118, Revisiting Urban Adventures. Welcome to Gaming NBS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to our regular listeners. And if you're new, glad to have you aboard, sir and or madam. Yes. Sean, how you doing, man? I am doing peachy keen, man. How are you doing? Not too bad. Christmas is coming. Are you like, does Christmas like go crazy at your place or does it not go crazy at your it place? It doesn't go too crazy. Um, we end up going to in-laws house typically and they go nuts. Lots of crap underneath the tree. See, the cool, for me, I have like a dry run come Thanksgiving, right? So all five of the kids come back home. The two that are away in college, they kind of descend back at the house. There's like a short Thanksgiving stint for warm up. Then they go back to college and was back to school. And then boom, they're going to come back and crush us for a bit during Christmas break. So uh, lucky for me, there's plenty of opportunities to get some gaming done. I got some Evercon work and there is still hunting to be had. So if I've had enough of, uh, the kids, I can always go retreat to a tree stand somewhere where no one can find me. It's always nice. <laughs> Nobody can find you, huh? Well, not as easily. Although I usually, unfortunately, still have decent cell reception wherever the hell I go. I see. All right. So announcements, eh? Yeah, eh? Getting all upper Michigan on us here. Um, Evercon.org, we have pulled in the Last Hope LARP. It's a uh, Wisconsin-based LARP. Uh, it's a great crew, crew of folks. They were at uh, they were at Gamehole Con. One of the cool things that they do is they're very interactive. They will have you know their orcs will be milling around throughout the con, other participants stalking them. There's combats. There's all sorts of cool stuff. It's very interactive for uh, for the folks who are at the convention who can get in, train with them, work out with them, and all that good stuff. So pretty cool. We're looking at I think we have um, if not at. Uh, we were pretty damn close to maybe even over at this point, 200 ticketed events and lots of space for open gaming. So this is going to definitely be the most event filled Evercon that we've ever had in over 15 years. So That's it should be crazy. Cool. Yeah, it's going to be neat. We've got, we got plenty of, we, um, we have video game tournaments. We've got Badger state games, which is part of the state game stuff. We've got um, a couple of tournaments there, like ticket to ride people into that. There's a uh, bronze, silver and gold, in uh, for Badger State games, even so, it's it should be pretty freaking cool. It's gonna be a lot of fun. It's gonna be a hell of a lot of work for me and my team, but uh, I'm actually really looking for, forward to putting my time in running the convention and uh, having some having some fun meeting folks. So that'll be fun. I hope we get some BSers out there come game with us. If you're running games, great. Even if you just come to play, hang out, shoot the breeze, and uh, whatnot. So evercon.org, evercon.org. Check out more details there. Were you going to say Everton.org? Was I going to? I, I don't know. Have. I think you No, I think so. Oh. Maybe. I hope not. <laughs> That'd be rude. All right. Random encounter. Okay. Random encounter. Talking about emails, comments from listeners. Brett, you go ahead. Sure. We've got Michael Drescher up front. He says, as far as creative spellcasting is concerned, I'm all for it. Just as an example. Uh, we were in a pirate's cave after uh, looting a giant skull, and hundreds of skeletons were 
Um, so good Lord, Sean just <laughs> changed the font on me there. Threw my mind off. Gotta okay. get bigger. Gotta get it bigger. Michael Dresser's yes. font should be bigger. Yes, it should. And it's got a very impressive font. Have you seen it? Anyway, um, hundred skeletons. Oh, easy, Gus. Where are you? Come on. Closer. That's not it. God. That's not it at all. Gus doesn't know anything. Soundboard guy. Fire him. It's like our first episode. Totally. All right. From the top, Michael Drescher. As far as creative spellcasting is concerned, I'm all for it. Just as an example, we were in a pirate's cave after looting a giant skull. Hundreds of skeletons were sweeping the bay. My character threw both of his two bags of gold into the air and then cast Thunderwave. Effectively shotgun blasted all the skeletons in the cave. It was epic. Oh, that's cool. So basically using Thunderwave to catapult all the gold pieces as projectiles. I like it. Also, your episode on urban, urban adventures had me thinking about how they're great for one-on-one sessions or smaller groups. That said, my brother moved to Indiana for a year and is too busy to make it to the sessions virtually. So I was curious, outside of urban environments, what other settings would you recommend for one-on-one group? Dungeon World or 13th Age comes to mind, but I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. Perhaps one-on-one could even be a topic. Let's just keep up a long show. Oh, P.S. Uh, Michael won the campaign coins giveaway. So he can't wait to incorporate some tactile currency into his games. That should be pretty freaking cool. So there is a Cthulhu Confidential, which I believe is the first version of Gumshoe 1 to 1, which is specifically designed by Robin Laws for one game master, one player. So that's, I've seen the postings out on Google+. Plus. I don't know if it's live as in purchasable yet, but uh, Pelgrain Press should have the uh, full details on that and most likely be on DraftRPG as well. Sean, have you run games for like a really teeny group, like two players or just you and one player? Have you done that? I've run them for myself. Which is <laughs> which is crazy when you, you flip a table, you're yelling at yourself about the rules and you don't understand anything. I have not. I mean, I've run probably for two players. I don't think it's gotten any less than that. You know, we talked a while back about like large sizes, how... From player to from a table perspective, I've had 13, 14 players at a table, which is basically like a small LARP. But it would be inter- it might actually be an interesting thing to uh, mull over in the old noggin as to is there a minimum for certain games? Do certain games have a have a minimum that actually make it fun? Like, can you have a good time playing first edition AD and D with like two bears? I don't know. Is the game how much extra work is it to make it work and so on? So huh, interesting. All right, Sean. I think you, uh, I think you did this to me on purpose. You can do this. What I do? <laughs> We're talking about an Australian accent here. Oh, here we go. next one's for you. Goblins henchman. Right. So just a quick comment on Sean's Aussie accent. Having once lived in Australia, I can vouch safe for the authenticity of Sean's accent. When Sean speaks, it as if I had been teleported back to Sydney Town Hall Station. The only thing missing is the occasional bonza mate to give it the true ring of the dinky die Aussie. Nice. As for Fosters, they drink it by the bucket load. Any attempt to say otherwise is a trick to prevent you tapping into their treasured amber netgar. I'm I'm sure Pure Mongrel will stand shoulder to shoulder with me on the above comments. Yes, I applaud Sean's multicultural multiculturalism. One episode, I believe he said arse in place of the ass in the U.S. parlance. Bravo, sir. Next, a British accent. 
one step at a time. I say, <laughs> let's, let's, I t- I'm going to, so every, let's try not to make everybody mad. I've given this a little thought and I think one of the patron levels is going to be Sean does an entire episode in an accent. Okay. Except I'm really bad at certain accents. Like? Uh, I don't know if I could pull off French. Okay. Um, so basically, we're, we may end up sounding like a horrible Americanized version of a Monty Python skit is what may end up happening. True. <laughs> Maybe I'll have different, like, like really short increments where I do one in French, one in German, one in Russian, one in... Australian. That's like at the fifty thousand dollar an episode level, right? Just so we, just one, so we set one it in out Scottish. There. <laughs> it's to practice my role playing chops, Brett. That makes sense. I could see that. Shall we go on? I suppose, but there's you another are, vote for yes, and I know those guys over at Misdirected Mark, man. No, I think I think it's not a bad idea. That's definitely a Patreon level. We, uh, I'm going to need some monetary compensation so I can get another bottle of whiskey so I can suffer through the. Uh, so I can suffer through that episode, I think so. Oh, I go right through everything. Random <laughs> encounter, Dalro. All of it, all together. Nice. I will do it all I want. The whole episode. <laughs> Coming to you straight on the main topic. Oh, God, God. The thing is, is my accents, it's it's not it's not a single one, Brett. Because somebody was gonna go be like, they're not that's not Australian, that's not New Zealand, that's no, it's not an, English. It, it's an amalgam. It's which an is amalgam, right? I'm a I'm a melting pot of accents. Correct. That's what you did in the uh, Trailer Cthulhu game I ran. You, That's right. It was the same accent the whole way through. We couldn't quite tell what it was, but it was it was him. It was that guy. That's right. It was your character every time he spoke. That was him. Yeah. That's pretty cool. All right. Next up, we have Patron Christian Sexy Voice Serrano writes in, says, loved your urban fantasy episode. Listen to it before going back to episode 115. One method I use for managing campaigns is an in an urban environment is to mind map the NPCs, the relationships, their desires, conflicts, conflicts, etc. This allows me to easily pivot when players impact any of those elements. As long as I know what motivations the NPCs have and what resources are at their disposal, I can adjust the reactions and behaviors accordingly. Don't underestimate the ability to have swashbuckling action or cosmic horror in a city environment too. With respect to sleeping in the streets, homelessness can be a reality for the PCs. There are underground locations, warehouses, alleyways, or even rooftops to sleep on if they need to hide rather than stay in a comfy inn. Mm, good stuff, Christian. I like that. Sean, next one's for you. Crimfan comments on an urban adventures. Speaking of urban adventures, folks should read Michael Moorcock's Gloriana. Is it, or is it Gloriana? Gloriana? Gloriana. I've not read this one, so I don't know offhand. And the anyway. no- and the novel he wrote with Storm Constantine Silverheart. Gloriana is loosely based on Elizabeth I's in- Elizabeth the England by way of Spencer's The Fairy Queen, with some really grand ideas for a mad dungeon under the palace. Silverheart has its issues as a novel, but it has tons of great ideas that are really ripe to be minded mined for a campaign. I tend to think that Lankmar is a great source and totally worth reading, being a classic set of stories. Parford and the Mauser often leave Lankmar, but they always seem to return to it, and some of their classic tales are set entirely in the city. The Serentine Mosaic by Guy Gavriel Kay 
takes place almost entirely in a fictionalized Constantinople of Justinian's time. Uh, GGK, as Guy Garavero K, has in Fantastic Chinese Series 2, Under Heaven, etc., that dwells in the capital a good bit. Hmm, nice. So some reading Appendix N in, uh, not incentive, yeah, it, inspiration. Absolutely. I have not read Spencer's The Fairy Queen since college. I will ha- I did, uh, As an English major, that was a uh, kind of thing I had to do. But there's de- there's definitely some good stuff in the Fairy Queen, if I remember right. So I have not read as much Moorcock as I probably should. Um, so this is a good idea to go back and grab onto that. Sean and I were talking a while back about kind of what it is, what books or whatever it is he, he and I are reading as of late. So that might have to be something we'll have to come up with our own little uh, gaming and BS appendix and kind of what we're reading for inspiration. Oh, my, my reading is terrible. Like I just, I have. <laughs> yeah, I, I just heard you. Well, no. that, that <laughs> I read terribly and I don't read a ton of novels, which I've gotten away from. And when I did read novels, when I was a kid, I, I, many of them I didn't finish. Like I would start, I'd get three quarters of the way through and then it would just wah, wah. <clears throat> Good Lord. Wrong yeah, right over there. I just, the, the concept of not finishing a book just got me. <laughs> oh, is that what it was? <laughs> got me a little crazy there. That's all it took? So do you read uh, one book at a time or do you read multiple? Oh, I do one book at a time. Most of the times I'm reading rule books or setting books. I'm D and D or RPG or whatever. Because for me, when I'm reading a novel and I get bored with it, then I'm like, ah, I'll put that one down and start another one. I think I have like five or eight books going right I've now. Done, I've done that too. Like start it, ah, it's boring. Then just put it down, pick up another one. Then I had but a bookshelf full of novels I never touched. So I had to get rid of those to half price books. And then I'd go to half price books and buy like one or two and go, oh, I'm going to definitely read this and then never read it. Yeah, R- rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Rinse, <laughs> repeat. <Yeah. laughs> it's just an ongoing thing that always happens. Yeah. Cool. All right, shall we? Yeah. Let's do it. What? Urban Adventures Part Do? What's this all about? Well, enough people have talked about it, and the mongrel and fielder's like, wow, it looks like maybe there was some more, uh, more gold or copper to be pulled out of that particular mine. So I thought we'd come back. If nothing else, we've listed... There's some of the listener feedback here on the show, last couple episodes. Um, things like Christian Serrano just mentioned, you know, mind mapping and so forth. I thought maybe we could talk through perhaps some of the uh, some of those types of tips or tricks and uh, or uh, tools that I or Sean perhaps have used or think might be a good tool to use going forward. So, you ready, Sean? Oh, man. I have never been more ready in my entire awesome. life, Brett. <clears throat> That's good. That's good. So, there's a phrase that kind of came up in my head thinking about you know, the, the sandbox versus linear versus blah, blah, blah. A city, especially a large urban sprawl, is basically a closed sandbox where a lot of times in a sandbox, um, adventurers are allowed to go. Perhaps the, the borders tend to be a little fuzzier. When you think a city or any major urban sprawl plex of some sort, fantasy, sci-fi, whatever, um, <clears throat> it kind of tells people, hey, the game takes place in Los Angeles. The game takes place in futuristic Tokyo or Avalon or Greyhawk city or wherever, when you set it there immediately draws kind of some boundaries. Now, granted, as we just heard above um, from Crimfan, you know, Fafra and the Mauser leave Lankmar periodically, but they do tend to come back. 
and some of the more classical rogue time stories take place directly in the city. Um, having having said that, so but anyway, when did it do? I kind of think of it as a closed sandbox or a sandbox with very high walls. If we want to use that kind of a kind of an analogy, you can do essentially whatever you want within a city. You could try to have a linear adventure and so on. But being that it has so much space and all that stuff, it pretty much lends itself very well to players saying, hey, I want to go see what's in the slums. I want to go see what's over in the ritzy part of town. I want to go check out the uh, the underground train station or whatever. It gives players plenty of um, stuff to go find, as Robin Laws would say, you know, kind of mill around through the sand to find the plastic dinosaur they like the most. So it's definitely has, in my opinion, more of a sandbox feel than a linear. Would you agree, Sean, or... What do you think? No, I think that's, uh, yeah, that's accurate. And and we, I think we even minorly touched on that in the original episode of Urban Adventures. When was that? 115? I don't even know yeah. what episode it was. Yeah, I think it was 116. 116. 116. So we did mention how it was more sandboxy and how that can create some challenges for the game master running that type of game. Well, I think then to to really handle the the challenge then is what kind of tools do you use? Um, one of my favorites um, recently, I picked up Vornheim, which is a supplement by um, uh, Zach Smith around uh, Lamentations of the Flame Princess. It's a really cool way. It's a d- totally different layout, the way that book is laid out. At first, I looked through it and went, what the fuck? It read really odd to me. It wasn't in its in the traditional RPG format. But then I kind of kicked out uh kicked the creative part of my brain back in started reading it's really cool it's very very well built there's a lot of really good uh random charts and different types of encounters and ways you can map cities out and map confusing funky streets by using something as simple as writing the numbers one two three four and five and just connecting them on a sheet of paper and then having that be the map flow um you can find vornheim and drive through rpg pretty much anything we mentioned here i think is on drive through at least some of it is yeah, and do, throw us a bone. Go to go to gaming and BS. I think forward slash drive through, or drive through RPG, and that'll attach yep. the affiliate link, and we get a little kickback. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump kind of down to my die roll real quick here, but I just went to um, drive through RPG earlier this week, and I kind of typed in like urban urban adventures or urban something just in the overall search. And there's a host of stuff that comes up random charts, the random, not so randoms, adventure ideas and story plots and hooks and so on. It is a well um, documented, well plumbed source. There's plenty of good stuff out there. And because it's at drive through, it's actually pretty, pretty cheap. Sean, have you ever read Vornheim or any, anything like that? No, I was going to, I was thinking about getting red and pleasant land and then maybe Vornheim would be one. And then maybe the blue Medusa. I don't know, but I, I, it's kind of on my, it's on my cusp. It's kind of okay. one of those things where I, I don't know if I would buy it like right now and hope that somebody gets it for me for Christmas or something like that. But got it. you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just don't know if I would run it. I know it's good. I've heard it's good. I've heard good things about it. There's no question about it. And that's what intrigues me. But I, I, I haven't bought a ton of stuff recently. I think I went on a buying spree and then I kind of, so the, the quick answer is no. Okay. But I could go on um, for the long answer if you'd like. <laughs> that's Jeez, okay. man. I think I the am cool terrible. Part, like, the cool part about Vornheim is it has a, in my opinion, it had enough of inspiration and, hey, here's how you can do this thing yourself. As I described, I mean, literally, they talk about writing the number one, 
and connect it off of one of the lines of the number one, you write number two, connect it off of that, you write a three. And that's your mazy, weird street type of layouts where the alleys kind of intertwine and bend and twist in odd directions. Um, those type, those types of things are, it's rife within the whole Vornheim setting. So it's really, really cool. That is, that's a really good, I mean, it's so simple and ridiculously practical that it's just yes. like, wow, wow. I don't have to create this super <clears throat> goofy maps with streets and little buildings or at least carve out areas that are like, here's this area or that area. You could do it just on a piece of paper numbering and then mm-hmm. the street, put the street in later or as you're going and. One of the things that I picked, one of the things I picked up back in the day was the uh, first edition AD and D Lankmar setup, and they had the maps. That was the first map I had where the actual map of the city of Lankmar has these squares that are just cut out of it. In the back, <clears throat> there are geomorphs of neighborhood sections, and you can all plug them. Uh, each it's a square, so each north, south, east, and west, each of the quadrants have a street that comes off of it, and various different alleys. That no matter how you twist those geomorphs, as a geomorph I want to do, you can plug them together and make um, different unique sections of the city. I actually built the entire dock ward of my Avalon setting. I have a map that I laid out. I printed a shit ton of them, and then I just cut and pasted them together on a large piece of white paper so that the players could have an actual map. It was this weird, funky, mazy street thing. They just went through and labeled, oh, you're on this street. Write the street name, it's, you know, Alabaster Way, or you're on the Street of the Gods or whatever. And then when they would go somewhere, put a number one, and that's, you know, Talbot's Fine Candle Shop or wherever they happen to stop. So if you go on, if you Google it, um, City Geomorphs, Lankmar Geomorphs, they're out there. You can find them. I know guys like um, Dyson, uh, the, the mapping god, um, has Geomorphs and a number of other folks out there. I would strongly suggest looking for that type of thing. <laughs> if you want to have little blown up section maps of a city, that can be really cool. Very evocative. Dyson logos. If you, thank you. Yeah. Uh, if you do Dyson, you might come up with a vacuum cleaner. Good point. But Good Dyson, point. Dyson logos is uh, something to look at and follow. <laughs> if you're on Google plus, I think they're actually on Facebook as well. Probably. So, yeah, probably. The other one, um, <clears throat> I, I am a Forgotten Realms fan. I like my when I run the realms. I like first edition, maybe second edition realms. But the Waterdeep supplements. One of the reasons I got a hold of those was the same reason I picked up the Undermountain stuff is because I wanted big goddamn pre-made maps. So I'll take some of the sections of the city of Waterdeep or any major city map like that. That's kind of a top-down look and uh, cut and paste, if you will. You know, I'll photocopy it, cut it around, change it, tweak it a little bit, and then use that. So sometimes, especially in a fantasy setting, if you're not using like in New York or, um, you know, a very modern city, uh, it can be a little daunting to say, how the hell am I going to map this out? Because unlike say, hey, you're at the, the town of, you know, Ravensford and from Ravensford, you're going to the, the tomb of the, uh, the, you know, the eternal Lich King. All right. So Ravensford doesn't have to be crazily mapped out because you're not going to spend a ton of time there. It can be very kind of simple. We're talking a big urbanscape. A lot of times people want a map of the city. And it can be daunting to put together this massive thing. The other thing that I have seen other folks do, and I have yet to do myself, is go out to, uh, I think the Smithsonian or New York Public Library. There are huge swaths of um, public maps of old cities or anything like that. You could even take modern-day Tokyo, Madison, Wisconsin, Chicago, 
take the map itself and draw inspiration from it. Something that's a street level grid, you know, and just tear it apart and uh, map and use that as the basis for a map for a city. You could easily do that. And I think one of the things that freaked me out when I first started doing um, chunks, uh, when I first started mapping a city was like, how am I going to build all this? Um, and because, so what I'm going to say, the other thing that an actual city looking at like a Chicago or a New York or Milwaukee or Twin Cities or Tokyo or whatever, when you want to have different sections of a city, what does the city, how do the streets flow and fold near Riverside? What would a temple district look like? What would it look like downtown by Wall Street or something along those lines? So that I, that I have also found useful. I've seen other people do it. I have not do, dove into that that hard, but Sean, I'm talking a lot here. What do you think? So the, geo, so the geomorphs mm-hmm. for the different class sections of the city, did, did they have different geomorphs for the different classes section of the city? No? Yes? <clears throat> oh, I mean like, upper ritzy, class. like a ritzy slum? Yeah. Um, do, do, do. I'd have to call those back up. I don't recall. That would be interesting. I know some of them had like a market. There was one that was called like market and there was more places for market stalls and so forth. And there was a ruined temple. So they were, and one was like a waterway. So they, they were labeled like that. Hmm. I don't recall them being like, you know, rich, poor docks or something along those lines, but um, they were labeled out in some ways. Oh, I need a market space. Boom. Here's a market geomorph. You could use that. Gotcha. Christian was wondering. Does that make sense? Yeah. They're pretty, like I said, they're pretty handy. And even, I took a bunch of them, uh, just printed up, printed them all out, cut them, formed them up on a big uh, piece of poster board, and boom, I had the map of Avalon, at least the dock area of it. It was pretty cool. So the other, that's kind of your large <clears throat> scale, what the hell does this thing look like? And when I say I only did the uh, the dock section, the south, the south ward of Avalon, was because I wanted to start the city in that space, when I, or excuse me, the adventure in that space. Um, <clears throat> yeah, they could start to adventure out past it. But once they left that area, then I would add in more maps or more whatever it is. I didn't kind of the old uh, the old Dungeon Masters trick, like don't map out everything ahead of time because it's fucking crazy. Just simply go forward and map out what you know you're going to use in the immediate time. And the other thing that happens is it maps, in my opinion, do a couple different things for players immediately. Oh, the adventure takes place within these four walls. And then the next thing they think of is, I'm going to fuck up the game master. I'm going to go outside of these four walls. I want to push outside what's outside this map, you know? So it forces them to kind of want to explore what's in front of them. And then also they know there's more beyond and they want to see more of it. So maps are pretty cool like that. Um, so that's kind of the, what the physical layout looks like. Now, the other piece though, and Christian mentioned this is the concept of um, the mind map. Now, Sean, I'm going to, do you know, you know what a mind map is? Am I right? Lots of pictures, lots of lines, not pictures, little bubbles. It's basically the reason it's called a mind map is because if I were to map out how I want the city of Lankmar to be run or what I want in my big city, my mind map is not going to match Sean's mind map because it's his brain versus mine. I have no mind. (laughs) Yeah, his is large blank canvas with grids, old school blue grids. It's really cute. (laughs) I don't know if cute would have been the right word, but okay. okay, we'll go with that. Sean, have you ever used a mind map for anything, like for work or anything along those lines? God, no. 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 <clears throat> I, t- I tell you, dude, for, for a sandbox game session, 
I really I I used one for my Murder City campaign because it wasn't I just knew what I wanted to kind of have happen, but I was had no real decent way to make notes or anything. And my buddies Lenny and Alpha had been using mind maps. I'm like, ah, fuck it, I'll, I'll grab some free software. I started dicking around with it. It was a lot of fun where you could go, hey, here's the thing that I want to happen and what's connected to it. Well, there's this group and there's this other group. And then this group has other bubbles connected to it. So it's a free flowing how your brain, you write down notes and so forth as you want type of a uh, flow chart almost. And how everything can kind of feed into each other, what's all connected and how and what the different uh, lines are. You can do it freehand or use a soft, use software tools and so on. There are a lot, I've found, I'm a Mac user, so I know in the app, in the app store, there's plenty of free ones out there. They're pretty handy. The other piece, and Angela Murray mentioned this in the uh, last episode as feedback to the original one, the cons pyramid is in Knights Black Agents. <clears throat> Ken Height built this. It's basically how you start with, it. it's a pyramid scheme of a conspiracy. You know, who's at the top? You know, it's Lord, you know, ultimate bad guy, sir. And Lord Ultimate Bad Guy, sir, has these other shadow organizations and whatever. So you just kind of work your way through that component of it. I know that Pelgrine's website used to have, you could download a Cos Pyramid as a, um, as a handout or a tool for free for Game Masters and stuff. It might be worth taking a look at, even if you're not interested in the Night Black Agents, Knights Black Agents game itself. I think the cons pyramid is actually really freaking cool because if you want to have an investigative game in a city, um, it's a really good way to map all that stuff out. And it doesn't even have to be conspiracy. It could be simple as in charge. It's magistrate of Avalon. There's 13 of them. What's underneath them? The guilds. What's underneath the guilds? This group. It helps you to build a hierarchy, if nothing else, of the challenges, trials, and tribulations that the players may run into whenever they do something in the city. Does that make sense, Sean? It does. You've, when uh, we were starting to set up a Knights Black Agents uh, game on your side, did you use the Cos Pyramid or were you? I was looking at it. I, haven't, I hadn't gone into it most. My, it's a good tool. It works really well. The only thing for me is that I, I would rather have it flow a little bit. So if I were to present something to the players... Maybe it's a um, human trafficking at like a lower level, street thug stuff, drugs, okay. drugs, whatever it is, money, mo- street, uh, money on the streets kind of level. Whatever avenue the players would pursue, I would just rather kind of keep in mind when I get there what to kind of put into place rather than map it out too much. So you could basically what you're doing is using the Cas Pyramid post-fact, right? It's almost like a post-event notes. So after the first session or two, well, we did human trafficking. <clears throat> they began to, to beat up those guys. They introduced a vampire or a, a slave to the vampires after that. So you can almost retrofit into a cons, cons pyramid, right? You can, almost, you can retrofit almost anything you want into more organizations. Sometimes I've done that. Where you where you set up the intro, and you're like, I don't know where the fuck the players are going to go. Right. Throw out a bunch of baited hooks, whichever one they grab onto, you retrofit back into. I still think the 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 mind mapping exercise and using the conspiracy pyramid from NBA can be retro done, and I think it would have still have a lot of value. Yeah, and I think my approach isn't necessarily the maybe the best way because when you're when you have that 
and you solidify it, 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 it shouldn't change, right? I mean, uh, organized crime, if you're mapping out organized crime, it's not going to necessarily change based on what the players are doing because that's kind of the hierarchy of what you're dealing with. So it's just me and my approach to prep or lack thereof. Well, the thing, though, is that it, it's malleable. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to change per se, but it's not like you have to show the players like, hey, look, I had this really cool thing where the cops were involved, but I decided they weren't, and I crossed it out. So yeah. even if you're retrofitting it, it's not bad. There's nothing wrong with that. Just a different just a different style. I right. mean, it's it's lesser. It's a lesser of styles. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. That's harsh. <clears throat> the uh, I mentioned it with Vornheim. Waterdeep had this, and the first place I really – um, the random, the concept of random encounters and so forth. One of the coolest things that Chicago by night, the original uh, vampire, the masquerade book had in the back of Chicago by night, <clears throat> excuse me, had a series of city encounters, everything from like, Hey, this is you encountering other vampires, you encountering other supernatural things. And there was like weird shit that could happen. And I mentioned this a number of episodes back when we talked random encounters, I believe we did. I think I've told the story. One of the episode, one of the uh, pieces in this random thing was like someone gives a player character a rose for no apparent reason. It's just it, these vague little weird things that can happen. And uh, one of them was somebody spills water on a player. And I did that to uh, a, a girl I was dating at the time. Cat was playing with us and her character. I, I had someone spill water liquid on her character like six, seven different times that evening. And she was convinced there was something horrible happening. It was just a bad day. Right. But those type of random weirdness things can occur and random charts for cities are a ton of fun. And I found that the best one, the best place for me to get inspiration for those is look at when I go downtown to Madison, if I go to the mall or I go out to any store and it, it sounds corny as hell, but you people watch and just see the weird shit that's going on around you. It, that whole thing is a random encounter. It's a crazy city-born thing. Think about that time you were drunk in college, stumbling back to your dorm room or your apartment, and you came upon you know this thing happening. That's a thing that happened in a city, in an urban setting, that you could easily pick up, transplant, and put anywhere else. Instead of it being you know two bums arguing over whatever, it could be two, elf, two elves who are drunk or a nobleman who's puking in the corner instead of a cop or whatever it happens to be. So I've used, when I see stuff like that, I jokingly tell my wife, I'm like, I can't shut my gamer brain off. I'll see something go, that's going in the game. Cause that's fucking weird. You know, driving down the road and you see somebody in a giraffe costume driving their car. It's around Halloween time, but it's still wonky that someone's driving a car in a giraffe costume. So take the kid in the giraffe costume instead of driving a car, put them downtown Chicago walking out of a bar. It's a random encounter that could, that can just, dis, that could disturb the PCs could have them go, what the fuck is a giraffe costume? What's this going on? I thought we're chasing vampires. What's this about? It's a red hair or just a weirdness thing. But the other component is that, um, you watch your, your crime drama movies, any of those things where somebody happens to see something, then you, you when we start investigating and so forth. It all kind of builds together. Does that make sense, Sean? I think yeah. I kind of went off the rails a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Because I just, um, especially urban, and it doesn't even matter the size of the city you're in. Sean, you still there? I am still here. Okay, you went black there for a second. Oh, 
Um, doesn't even matter the size of the city. You could be in a small town like my hometown of Wausau, Wisconsin. You could be in Richland Center where I'm at now. There's not a lot going on. But thinking about in a modern setting, um, you know, there are kids delivering newspapers. There are cops on the street. There are things that happen um, constantly. And to make a city, an urban setting, be alive, even a fantasy setting, one of the other pieces that comes to me is... So I'll take my Avalon setting, for example. I have the Griffins. The Griffins are the name of the city guard. There's different variations of them throughout the different quadrants of the city. But what do the what does a squadron of guardsmen look like? There's approximately four of them. They have their tabards. They have the griffin emblazoned on them. They have these bills with a hook on them where they hang a lantern. They've got a bell and short swords and blah, blah, blah. Just a simple thing like that saying, this is what the town watch looks like. Because you know your adventures. They're going to run afoul of the town watch. And understanding what a regular group of them looks like, then that led me to think, so what does, um, how does law and order work around here? You know, do the Griffins get to do whatever they want to do? Which led me to uh, a, a street saying, which is pray the Griffins don't have a rope. If you get caught in your wrong t- part of town, it's just, you know what? Hang him because they can do that if you don't bribe your way out. Dang. Yeah, it's a, it's a nasty town. But, you know, if you have, you set up kind of a God, I'm jumping all over here. My apologies. But when it comes to law and order within a city, we talk kind of about what a city physical layout looks like, random encounters, pyramids of conspiracy or how things are laid out in mind mapping. When you get tactical though, is when you need some of the details and some of them to, to me anyways, Hey, in my vampire cities, you're like, okay, it's a Gothic punk setting. You can bribe the cops. Okay. That's a standard. So to break the standard periodically, someone tries to bribe a cop and you run across the one cop in Chicago in the world of darkness setting who will not be bribed. That's fun. You can, you have your, your standard and then you have the, the man or woman who breaks that standard. And in Avalon, you have the one Griffin and she refuses to be bribed or she's overly, you know, concerned with process and policy and the other people with her, they're like, Mo, what are you into that? What, why, you know, and there's always an argument or whatever. Um, but those tactical components, you're going to have to come up with at least bucket items, right? The guards easily bribed. This kind of goes into the mind map concept. The guards are easily bribed, occasionally difficult to deal with. Um, are they more common in the rich areas of town? Don't don't care about the docks. There's gangs uh, in the dock ward, multiple thieves guilds, and so on. When you get <clears throat> those bits of just something that vague of a statement, so when the characters go out and they leave an, an inn or a, <coughs> excuse me, a tavern are trying to find the next piece of information. And I look at Sean and say, well, you know, I'm kind of down by the train yards. Are there any um, you know, hobos or anybody around here? Because you've answered some of those big box questions, you know, like saying, hey, are, is, you know, street crime common? Are there, is homelessness a problem? Is that something, is it a modern setting? Yes, there's, there's some hobos down by the train station. And when you, even if you make that stuff up on the fly, my advice is I've started doing it more now because my memory isn't quite what it used to be for back in the day is I'll make a note, you know, they met Sam, the hobo, and, uh, he lives down by the train station. And then he mentions the fact that, yeah, the hobos get together every night at this, for this barrel fire over by this other thing, just keep taking all those notes. And then it just starts to grow that, that section of the city a little bit more. 
Sean, have you done anything like this? Am I? I'm totally running over here, dude. So I'm no, I think I think that they're all they're good, they're valid, they're things to keep in mind. But if you end up going too much into the patrols, you get into too much of the staff at the bar, tavern, um, you know, people throwing water on people, people taking a leak in the alley that people are running into. I think all that stuff brings an urban setting alive. No question about it. Mm -hmm. But I think you also, and so I think if you're, if that's kind of the focus of the topic is to make that happen and kind of flesh it out and, and, you know, make it alive, then great. But it's also going to have to be where you got some pretty meaty, meaty plot associated with some of that stuff. So, you know, tying in that person that's taking a leak, that may be a politician in the city and you guys come across them. And then two days later they find them dead or the next day they find them dead. Exactly. Right. So you got to kind of propel some of those minor things. You know, the Griffins are a good organization, but Maybe there's a couple bad, corrupted folks that are in there that has to deal with the politician that got murdered and they're investigating. And all of a sudden, you start connecting the dots and those two guys or NPCs are involved in the most recent three murders and they haven't closed any of the cases. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And then you start connecting them to the underground. That's all great stuff. And then, um, because I think a lot of what you're saying is good, solid flavor, color, uh, especially for an urban setting, mm-hmm. but also having that kind of main plot points that you're connecting these people to, which I know you're alluding to with the mind mapping. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I'm glad you brought me back to that. So the other component here is too, because it's a closed sandbox, um, in investigations that you're doing, somebody else is also doing it, right? If you're investigating a crime, somebody is also looking into it. Even if it's just half-assed, somebody's checking it out, right? There's everything that's happening in an urban setting has immediate impact. Um, Forrest Gary mentioned this in one of the uh, feedbacks we had, I think it was last episode. You know, if you drop a fireball, you blow something up, automatic gunfire, <clears throat> there's immediate blowback to that stuff, right? And <clears throat> tying that blowback, um, even if, um, do, 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 as you alluded to, right? So tying it back to, hey, the player characters got too close. I look at my pyramid and say, well, they're getting really close to figuring out this next thing. So this group is going to amp up the danger, right? They're going to start. That's it. The player characters brought automatic guns to the knife fight. Guess what? We're going to start bringing in SWAT teams. We're going to find out where they live. We're going to, we're going to start kind of take the fight back to the player characters. Everything matters. And the reason I guess I was kind of picking into the, um, the flavor components is your NPC relationships, at least in my opinion, anyway, in an urban setting have a lot more day-to-day value than they do kind of in a globetrotting setting. If you're going from place to place, you show up in Ravensford, you meet a cool Smith, you could spend five minutes talking to him. Yeah. He had a cool Scottish accent and we moved on, or he sounded like he was Hungarian and we moved or she was, you know, the greatest dwarven Smith in, in of her day. Great. When you're in a city, you're in an urban setting. These people, <clears throat> they're there all the time. This is where they live. This is their home. We spend a considerable amount of time there. All those NPC relationships matter a lot. And to me, they need to play even if just as distractions, but they're connected to the main storyline. So to your point, um, 
main person of the city is murdered. The guard starts looking into it. The cops start looking into it, whatever. The players happen to be there. They get questioned. Um, they're questioned outside of the donut shop they always go to. And they've, you know, they, they know this person. So all those bits of flavor and so forth have to me more impact sometimes. You don't want to go too crazy deep into everybody has a little bit of something. I mean, not every NPC, you don't have to know everything about them. But there's a lot more. If you treat an NPC poorly today, the ramifications are greater than they are when you, you know, you pissed off a flight attendant in New York, but now you're in L.A. So the lady in New York or the guy in New York is mad at you, but that's okay because the guy you met in L.A. doesn't care. That doesn't happen when you stay in that place. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah. No, it carries over. Absolutely. Well, and another, I mean, one thing, you <coughs> know, Christian points out is you got to, they're, you're putting them into place. Some of them, like you said, and, in, and in kind of sprinkled here and there as references and resources for the player characters to reach out and use mm-hmm. to get that info or to probe. But one thing I find interesting whenever there's always, when I'm GMing and you put some of those NPCs out there for whatever reason, the players seem to latch onto the wrong one for the wrong reason. <laughs> That's like true. They'll, they'll be like, hey, well, hey, you know what? I think um, George at the bar probably knows all about this. Let's go, let's go like interrogate him. And then they interrogate a, a bartender that has absolutely no relevance to what they're actually pursuing. Now, as a game master, you could do the railroad piece of this, um, the railroad piece of it where – you know how you're, you're like, hey, we're going to get the characters to uh, encounter number two. Whether yeah. they go left or right, whichever way they're going to go is number two. And you could do that with non-player characters where, well, you know what? It's really, you know, Sally, the whatever, I don't know, the, I don't know, the the blacksmith or whatever that's, that has this info and that's where they should be going, but they're going George to George, the tavern owner. Okay. I'm just going to move that info. Yeah. You can do it that way, but I sometimes wonder what the hell, like, I think at times you have to really, Hey, player characters here, you know, George is a retired Griffin patrol person and knows, you know, he's got stuff on his walls from being in patrol or whatever. One of the things I tell my players to do in those type of environments, I, I either directly or I strongly encourage them is like, who's keeping notes is somebody tracking all the cool people you're meeting and learning about because I have my notes, but I'm not going to constantly tell you, remember you met five people last week and it was Sally, George, you know, Thomas and Mary and whomever else. And this is what they do for a living as it's a lot of information that comes across. So as players, they need to pay attention to that stuff. And it's not, again, because it is an urban setting, if it's in a single neighborhood and the blacksmith is like, well, I don't really know about that, but you know who might know would be old Thomas. He's that sage who lives down the street. Oh shit. We should, I knew I met old Thomas. Fuck. I can't believe it didn't do that. So you can have the NPC again, the relationship, they're talking to the wrong person. You as the game master can have that wrong person, point them towards the right person because of the relationship they built. Sure. This alley, the blacksmith, she's like, no idea. Fucking clue. Piss off. You know, that, or she might send you to a completely wrong direction. And that could, again, to me, is part of the, the fun of that type of setting because everything is so, you pissed off that NPC you, and uh, you're in the same neighborhood. You're going to see these people all the time live here or they live here. 
Yeah. The um do 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 what did I have here? Um so basically what this is getting to, and I, I've said this to other other folks before who've asked me about it, is that to me an urban location is more alive than a dungeon location. Dungeons, if you want them right, in my opinion, they still need to be able you know, things to happen in engines on. But very few things are completely static in an urban setting. So someone's murdered, it's investigated, the case is closed, and they move on. There may be a grieving widow, there may be a grieving husband or, or child, or somebody's upset about something. But generally speaking, it's done. The world moved. They're done with that thing. So there is an often, in, in, uh, I guess it's a strike while the iron is hot perspective that the players need to get into is that if they're going to go, they need to move, right? If you're going to start investigating and digging into something that's happening in the city, you don't have a lot of time to just fuck about because it moves quick. You know, it's, it's fast times in a, in a, in a big city, right? So stuff's moving and happening. And the latest murder today means nothing about because there was a fire two days afterwards. Everyone was more worried about the fact that half the city almost burned down or something. Then suddenly no one gives a shit that the blacksmith was murdered, you know, was that a cover-up? To Sean, to your point, does it all tie together? That the cops got sick, the players harassing people, and the guards went and lit a fire to distract the entire town or this neighborhood so that no one would talk about the dead blacksmith anymore. That type of shit happens. And that might well be <clears throat> some of that conspiracy stuff the players can dig into. Or they also make great red herrings if and when you're going to use those. But I think the, the urban location is very, very alive. And shit happens fast. At least I prefer it to happen quickly. Things, something happens, word, word of mouth spreads. Even in a fantasy type of setting, in one little neighborhood, it doesn't take long for the couple street urchins to tell a few bakers who tell a few candlestick makers who tell the rope maker who tell, the next thing everybody fucking knows. Yeah, the city lives on without the players. Characters. Yes, as, absolutely. As a wise Christian Serrano might say. Absolutely does. Yeah, shit doesn't stop in murder town. So the other piece, and I mentioned this to my stress, is that I tend to look at my big NPCs, even if it's a mind map perspective, even if it's just a concept that says, hey, there's a big boss of the crime syndicate. I don't know if it's a man, woman, child at this point. I've got no idea. It could be an alien, could be a Cthulhu creature. No idea. I just know there's a big thing. I know there's someone in charge of this. There's a group that's in charge of this other thing. I have those concepts out. I encourage the players to tell me who they know. You know, like I want to go find Brett. I got to, I lived in the city my whole life. I, I got to know somebody down the street where I could stay. Who's safe. I don't know. Tell me who it is. Tell me, tell me somebody who's safe, Sean. And Sean tells me, Oh, it's this thing. Great. It's a perfect opportunity to source the table. Um, and which I think is a lot of fun because if you allow your players to help you fill in those, those fleshy details of it. Right. So it's not just me coming up with, um, where the can how the candle makers guild operates, so on and so forth. Ask the players how that stuff works if you don't have it built out. Once the, when they help you make it, they will help you remember it, <laughs> right? When your notes fail you and your memory fails you, and the players all helped you source that, the table helped you figure out who Sally the blacksmith was, that she was the best damn dwarven blacksmith that ever lived. They came up with that, you didn't. That sticks. That shit sticks a lot more than me telling them that this Griffin guard can't be bribed. That's boring, right? In a way, 
It's just more data that I threw at them. If they come with the data back to you, I think there has, it has more meaning and has more staying power. At least that's been my experience. So I think, I think that covers most of what I wanted to talk about. Um, oh, the other piece, I, I mentioned starting small, big leaders. Oh, when we talk about flowcharts and mind maps and stuff, an important piece to remember is in a city or in a small area, your big people, your big leaders, your movers and shakers, what do they think about each other? They may have totally dis, <laughs> you know, Sean and Brett. Sean may think Brett's a cool guy and Brett can't stand Sean or vice versa, vice versa. And you all have to work together though in the city. So um, when you go to talk to Christian's character and Christian's character NPC says, no, Sean and Brett, they're great guys. They're awesome. They're totally fine. And on the backside, we have been working to undermine Christian Serrano's entire enterprise, but playing really nice to his face. Those are little bitty notes, you know, like him, but see him as a threat like her but unsure of whether she likes me back type of thing. You know, that type of those notes and pieces that you can put into play when the players interact with a component of it, then again, the urban setting is alive. It keeps spinning. Everything keeps moving. And you know what, how people are going to react when you go and smack somebody. You know what the other big bad guys are going to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Okay. You're staring at me like I'm crazy. No, I just stare at you like you're crazy because that's the way I view you, Brett. I, th I think I'm at peace with that. That's cool. You got anything else, man? I mean, you've you've run city campaigns or been through city campaigns and places like this. Am I missing stuff? I mean, there's random charts. There's mapping. Cool shit like that. Is there anything else that you can think of? Well, I mean, no, not. I mean, we we've hashed away at it pretty pretty well. I think there's always different approaches and different methods of what you can do and how you can do it. You know, Michael Drescher's talking about having a city is like a player character. You kind of start out at a certain level and then get more deeper into it. You know, there's all kinds of different ways you keep track of stuff, different. What's a, what's your favorite city you've ever been in? Oh, Adventuring wise, adventuring. Oh, you know, I don't, um, I don't know which one Jimmy used for Shadowrun. I can't remember um, what city it was called, but you know, even Shadowrun very mission oriented. You get some contacts. The face face man usually has contacts that they can ping you lean on. That's another thing too. You can have a player character be the focus of those connections because that's what they do. That's who they are. Yeah. So maybe that's their, that's kind of their deal. So when you talk about going back just a few minutes, going back to whether the player characters can remember it all, and you trying to instill like who's keeping track of this, you get the one person who's keeping track of it. And then the next week they're the one that's not there. You're yeah. like, sweet. Awesome. You know, they're the one that keeps all the good notes. But if you have one person who's the player character, who's like the face man, you know, you can throw them bones all day long. Absolutely. Cause that's kind of their spiel, you, their shtick, right? That's yeah, what they built. That's very cool. So in Shadowrun, there was one city I can't remember, but the city, because Shadowrun's very mission oriented and there's a Mr. or Mrs. Johnson that's hiring you to do specific things. Yep. You know, some of that can be, you know, if you remove the city and you removed the environment, the mission is what it is, regardless whether you're going into a kind of a castle situation or 
Maybe you're going into a stronghold in the city in the bad part of town where the gangs hang out because you got to go in and, I don't know, put in a tap their their network from a hardwired perspective. You know, whatever that is. I hear you. I hear you. You know, you can. So I think many times the cities that I work in from a role-playing game perspective may not be as urban and fleshed out where, hey, you're, this whole game is going to take place in Tullus. This whole game is going to take part in Sharn. Um, and then that becomes like this big, huge campaign with all these different connections and all these non-player characters. And it just becomes this, you know, I'm living in Chicago, Dresden Files, whatever city that you can make up in Dresden Files. And it becomes mm-hmm. a live, living, breathing thing. Or even if it's like Vampire or... Night's Black Agents, where Night's Black Agents, you're usually typically traveling quite a different, yeah, a lot of different a, cities. Yeah, that's a Jason Bourne hop through Europe type right. of perspective. Right. <clears throat> I tell you, I liked when I ran Vampire. Chicago was my favorite place. I still use Chicago for uh, my Bad Magic game because I have a big gamer love affair with that city because of the sheer volume of fun I had running the uh, Chicago by night for my Vampire games. For a fantasy setting, I love never. I've not read the Avalon setting, but I believe I would totally love Sharn. And um, I have Avalon setting, of course, because I built that myself. I really like it. And I still I have um, some of the cities within the uh, Greyhawk setting, Greyhawk City itself. And I do like Waterdeep in the Ferran Realms. I still like that one. And Lochmar. Lochmar is still one of my all time favorite places. But uh, all right, man, I think we've uh, I think we beat this one pretty hard. <laughs> probably people are probably sick of us talking about it. So move on. Good stuff. Die roll. Two to four miscellaneous points of gaming geekery and inspiration to bring to you. Brett's got a couple. I didn't provide any. We got like one, two, three. We got like six from listeners. Go ahead, Brett. Yeah. So I've got a link out there to uh, drive through RPG, the rocker boys and vending machines. Our friends over at misdirected Mark, their uh, take on lasers and feelings. Uh, Sean and I take a little bit of pride in the fact that when they were first talking about um, cyberpunk and stuff and the rocker boys and the machines, we kind of egged them on a little bit there. So I feel feel a little bit of pride in the fact that that, that name stuck because uh, I think we hope to kind of hang that, hang that name up there. Anyway, it was really cool. The other one, I do have a link out there just to it. It's a simple link that I put together. Um, it goes right to uh, Urban Encounters. It's if you go to Drive Through RPG and you type in Urban Encounters in the search, it gives you a plethora of different uh, links to different things um, through here. Random uh, Urban Encounters, um, let's see, a Book of Lairs, 10 Urban Encounters, Urban Dressing, uh, random another Random Encounters bundle, um, all sorts of stuff that's out there that can be used. The not-so-random, 101 not-so-random encounters for an Urban Pathfinder setting. So there's tons of cool stuff out there and available. So even if you aren't sure how to start building random charts or how to start with some of this stuff, get out there, grab some of those pieces of it and it'll uh, kickstart your brain. I think so. And you had nothing, Sean. Jeez. I, yeah, what am I, I I don't know what to say. That's Hey man, our listeners picked up the slack for both of us. That's true. Shane Freeman gave us, I've got a link to life. uh, There's a lifeboat, uh, abandoned lifeboat at world's end. A neat little uh, history history piece out there. Take a look at that. Chris Shore pointed out a Traveler customizable card game. Not a collectible, but customizable. It's on Kickstarter. So we'll link to that in the show notes. 
Ezrael Arocha had a link to, uh, speaking of uh, urban encounter type of stuff, items in a noble's bedchamber. That's another link to a specific product on DriveThruRPG, which I actually think is free. And um, there's a Gizmodo article on the uh, Discovering Chainmail, the uh, kind of where things started with uh, Gygax and Arneson and so forth, which to me, that history stuff is always pretty cool. Sounds like mainstream media on the internet's finally understanding what has happened la- you know, 30, 40 years ago. That's why this that's why this stuff is interesting to me. I see this, I'm like, wow, you, you guys finally figured that shit out. I've known that since I was eight or whatever, you know? So it's it's neat to see it. Thanks for some good up. publicity after twenty years. Yeah, exactly. After the satanic panic and everything, now we're cool again. Okay, cool. Uh, you you go, your turn. Mark Tasaka, patron of the show, designed a random cobalt generator for the in color and super deluxe edition versions of Cobalt's Ate My Baby. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. When we, we mentioned, hey, let us know if you're creating something. We want to make sure other people are aware that you're creating something. We love creators. So we put that out there. Very cool. Uh, hope you are finding uh, good success with that, Mark. I don't know if I have. He's got a design. I don't know if he gave me a link to the actual thing. Oh, yeah, he did. Oldschooladventures.org forward slash kobolds. But yeah, link will be in the show notes there. Yeah, it's skipped over weird and format notes. So yeah, so we'll have a link in the show notes for oldschooladventures forward slash kobolds. Um, And then Christian during the show had mentioned Lucid Chart for mind mapping. Oh, very cool. Thank you, Christian. That's good stuff. I think think you sign up with your email and I think it's relatively free. If you want a good mind mapping web-based um, tool to use, mapping out your awesome urban adventures and maybe not so urban. You never know. It's adventures. it's good stuff. Just plotting things out. I think it's a lot of fun. Even just uh, putting out story ideas and concepts that you might want to do. It's uh, They're fun. I started using them more and more for my games. That's right. Yeah, I think that's it for the show. Um, one last thing to say is uh, if you're not doing anything in November of 2017, get your ass to gameholecon.com. Uh, sign up if you haven't signed up already so you can get notifications of when things are going down. Like They're actually talking about, they're talking about adding some official gaming on Thursday. Did you see that? I did see that. So, yes, uh, new news recently in the last week. If you are signed up, you already know this. But they are adding a third and a half day. Yeah. Not fully a fourth. So they're going to actually have events, I think, on the grid starting Thursday late. And I don't know if that's noon or at three. So what what Alex and the boys are doing, Sean, is they're basically cutting one more day into our uh, PTO allotment for the year because we're going to have to take more time off to make sure that we can uh, uh, be there for all this cool stuff. I, I'm not a world traveler. I don't go to Disney World. I don't plan summer vacations. I take off four days for four or five days for a con. Okay. Actually, three days you can take off because that'll usually you don't have to take off Saturday and Sunday. Usually, take off the Monday, take off the Friday or Thursday, and you're good. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. But go to GameholeCon.com. We appreciate them. I'm meeting with Alex this week to just I don't know have lunch with the guy. So see what else is cool. new um i think it's true dungeon coming back again i believe it is i believe that's what i saw so i think that was a pretty big hit yeah and then they donated they also uh published that they donated their to their charity uh, friends of ferals so every year they've had a different charity i don't know what it's going to be for 2017 
But uh, they do the Dungeon Bastard event as a big part of that generator. Yeah, they do. That's that's always a fun event. I missed it this last uh, this last one, but the one previous one, you and I were on the judge panel. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Otherwise, um, one nineteen. I think we're still talking about what we want to do. Yeah, we'll figure out something. I'm not quite sure. This uh, the Serpent Adventure thing really got me. I, I love talking about it because it's one of my favorite settings um, to put adventures in. So. Hopefully, I'll be able to shut up about it for a while, and we'll talk about something different next time. I think episode. people have suggested holidays. Um, yeah, we got holidays, planar travel, and all sorts of stuff. So we'll see what we can figure out. We got we got good stuff. We got good stuff coming. Right, excellent. All right, well, so this has been another show of gaming and BS. I'm one of your host, Sean, and I'm Brett. Good night and good gaming all. Episodes of gaming and BS come to you with the help from the following patrons. Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest Fan, Jeff Rademacher, Forrest Gary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Bruce Cunnington, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Misdirected Mark Productions, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Chris Steele, Old School DM, The Knights of the Night Crew, Palladian, Jason Blaylock, Remy Billado, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Merkel Froilich, Wayne Lumrunner Humphrey, James Carpio, Matt Caprio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Eric Tankar, Brandon Barnes, Mark Tasaka, Brett Bozinski, Tim Shorts, Eileen Barnes, Chad Knight, Dan LaValle, C.W. Mellencamp, Nicholas Abruzzo, Victor Wyatt, Tony the Butcher Baker, and Craig Huber. For the cost of a coffee shop coffee, you can support the show for an entire month. Visit GamingMBS.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you.